Greetings and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi Andrew. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing alright, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, okay, okay. I'm deliberately asking how you're doing because pretty soon we're going to be asking what you're doing, which is a very different question, really, and one that's perhaps a little bit more confrontational. Yes, uh, it does have a little bit more juice to it than uh, the, the more casual how you doing. Um, so, yeah, well, it's not much of a mystery what we're talking about this week then, is it? Um, so, talk about it. Oh, if you like. I mean, I've noticed um, that um, what you're doing, I, I remember this is a personal response. It, it sort of fits into to a pattern of when revisiting these these albums of a song towards the end of um, um, of an album that I just don't remember until I then listen to it. Even when I look at the title, um, I think I, I have no memory of that at all. I, I give you, for example, There's a Place. Uh, that's one example. Not a second time from With the Beatles. And On a Hard Day's Night is actually the the last song, I'll Be Back. I know I, once I listen to it, once I've heard the first line if you like then the whole thing falls into place but it's just one of those those songs that when you're sort of staring at the sleeve you I, i'm just thinking no nope, that means absolutely nothing now that doesn't mean i don't like it actually i kind of do it's just not very memorable how about yourself uh, very similar. It, th- I'm not really a big fan of this song, the truth be told. Uh, so I'm going to get that out of the way, f- uh, you know, first things first. Um, it is a very kind of forgettable number. And I think that's kind of the worst sin that one of these songs uh, can commit, especially kind of at this point in the album, because it just means the album sort of peters out rather than going anywhere. And I think that's that's definitely the case for, for this album. Um Listeners to our last episode will know that I, I mentioned a thing whereby um, sometimes I'll try and play a song prior to talking about it just to try and get a little bit of a feel for it, sort of musically and, and, and whatever. Uh, and I realised by the time um, I got about halfway through this, I didn't really remember what the melody was. Never mind. And I was like, I was <laughs> I was looking at the chords and the lyrics in front of me. I still couldn't quite manage to, to pull that up. So, um, yeah, especially the, the, the bridge, the I've been waiting here for you, wondering what you're going to do, all that kind of stuff. I just, I, could, I had to go away and listen to the song uh, on Spotify like a couple of times just to go oh yeah that that does ring a bell and you know there's been a couple of songs in this album which we have been less than complimentary about um one i think everybody knows which one in particular but at least that song is memorable at least at least mr moonlight like <laughs> sticks in the mind it's not not it's not that not necessarily in a good way but at least you remember what it is this is just a kind of blur. I don't know. I find it a very difficult song um, to, to, to care about. It, it's just, just a whole lot of nothing. Well, you do get the impression that it was a song that, at the time, McCartney cared about more than, than the other Beatles. Yes, I think well. that's and, definitely true. And, and from looking at um, a few things about it, you sort of almost feel it might be a uh, you know proto-Octopus's Garden. Um, and, and some of that comes from the fact that the, the, the initial recording was spread over over two nights but then they revisited it again and it was pretty much the last thing they they actually did for the album towards the end of um of october when they first started recording it they'd just come off having done um i don't want to spoil the party 
but they then spend a couple of days trying to get this right and and it's clear that that perhaps they didn't but then in the long run i don't even think mccartney feels terribly fondly about it but i think it's interesting more for what it represents on the album and the perhaps the links it has going forward than as a song itself so i think it's it's an you know an interesting marker and and i think it it does sort of suggest a transition from the you know the perkins inspired uh, elements of particularly of side two um and onto the slightly more kind of jaunty jangly elements of of help that, that are going to start cropping up when they return to the studio in in 65 and i think that the the thing that indicates that for me the most is that every time i listen to it now i, I swear it's gonna develop into turn 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 <laughs> to the point where I'd convince myself that on, it's not they that were influenced bad. by the birds but the birds weren't actually recording as the birds in 64 I think they were recording as um, the Beefeaters at that stage and, and not having any particular hits um, but there's, there's something I think re- I think there is something potentially evocative about it that maybe if McCartney had had his way <laughs> and he'd been able to hone, then then it could have become even more memorable. But one of the problems is when I when I, I sort of when my brain then takes it into turn turn turn, and it is the the birds version, the pizza because it's the the opening guitar element of turn 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 that it really reminds me of, um, which isn't in Seeger's original. Um, but my brain then splits in two ways. One, it either goes to teenage fan clubs, uh, take the long way round from songs from Northern Britain, which it really reminds me of, or it goes into Depeche Mode's Torah, Torah, Torah from uh, from their Speak and Spell album back in 1982. Um, wow. so, Your brain works in really funny ways sometimes. I don't mean that as an insult. It's just very curious what twists and turns it takes. But I like, but okay, so I have this conversation with um, um, uh, my wife quite often because she gets a bit worried that perhaps her memory isn't that great. And and she said, well, I don't remember the, the things that, that you do. And I've tried to explain, it doesn't necessarily mean it's her memory that's, that's an issue. It's just the way that my brain connects one, two, three, four, five things that helps strengthen that memory. So, you know, because I... I can sort of vividly picture, um, sometimes can vividly picture this in relation to something else that that I then have those memories. And and the one that always comes to mind um, is for some reason, whenever I hear, I I don't particularly like the song anymore, but, you know, Oasis, Don't Look Back in Anger, there's a particular street in Glasgow by by Central Station that it absolutely 100% reminds me of. I can even smell it as well it's, it's just those those links brain does funny things anyway what you doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah, well, i mean you know i'm not i'm certainly not going to argue against the power of music to evoke a particular time or place uh it's yeah i i think you're right in the fact that it is at least a breakaway from the kind of the the, the countrified car park and stuff so uh that that's that's good we've I, we've talked that out i think at this stage and it is nice to get on to something which is a little bit less um predictable i suppose as far as this album is concerned um i still just i don't know i really want to like it more than i do but it, it just it just kind of leaves me cold i can't really think of much in it that uh 
that inspires me to to have that much to even to say about it. Like like you said, like the big twelve string and and like oh, like it, you know like the prefiguring the birds and turn turn turn. That's not a compliment to me. I hate the birds version of turn turn turn. <laughs> I hate everybody's version. I think it's a terrible terrible song. Uh, please feel free to disagree if you wish. But uh, like yeah, that's that's not inspiring me to appreciate this song more. That's if anything pushing it in the other direction. No, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of The Birds, even though in the last episode I would have mentioned that I had some um, um, Grand Parsons records. Um, however, Grand Parsons was a much much later iteration, uh, well, much, a slightly later iteration of The Birds, and this is much more one that's associated obviously with Gene Clark and David Crosby. And, um, you know, I'm not a massive fan of David Crosby, um, mostly... I suppose because I'm much more of a fan of of, of Neil Young and um, and you know David Crosby uh, and him yeah obviously clashed. Although I, yeah, I was listening to um, Desert Island Discs. I'm not going to explain that for American listeners. Which this last week was last week and what date of recording uh, was was Graham Nash, who also then has associations with um, you know um, uh, David Crosby that way and. Um, you know, it was it was very interesting. He was trying to say, um, he was he was trying. Graham Nash always sounds like he's been stung by fifty five million bees at the same time. In in that, you know, even when he's trying to be nice about someone, he doesn't sound like he's being nice about them. And, and I think he was trying to be nice about David Crosby, but David Crosby had peed him off so much in the later years for just how horrible he'd been to. Um, Daryl Hannah actually who's now Neil Young's partner there'd have been this whole sort of breakdown in, in whatever relationships they were um, so yeah anyway I, I kind of like I want to cut to the chase saying yeah the birds mm, as far as I'm concerned they're better than the doors and I will let you interpret that <laughs> however you wish wow you bastard no I can't stand the doors um, <laughs> uh, yeah good what, what were we talking about I oh, so it's, it's, it, okay so it's it's the guitar sound on that that I find interesting and yes it's the, the 12 string but it's also the, the, the way in which it ascends and descends that sounds like it's got a bit of a flow but if you were to look at it you would if you didn't know that it was McCartney singing and you were just looking at the lyrics you go oh is this another one of Lennon's um, aren't I miserable because oh woman you're being horrible to me type songs but no it's it's McCartney um, seemingly some people suggest writing about um, you know the saintly Jane Asher um, but, but that's what quite... people say about every song he writes about in this period that's true, so. that's true. yeah um, and and they're right lyrically it's it's pretty straightforward but what is interesting is the the where the stresses lie on this, and I think that gives it a, an unusual rhythm, um, and in a sense, it doesn't quite go the way that you think it's going to go. You don't hear the obvious rhymes because they might be buried within a line, and and I think that is a sign of some growing sophistication. I'm not saying that this is sophisticated. But it, I think it's a sign of a little bit more experimentation. Could be accidental. That's perfectly fine. Um, but there's a little bit more to it. Just like the opening as well with that that little kind of drum pattern as well. There's just that the little signs in here that these boys are, are kind of outgrowing some of the more... Um, you know, flat two-dimensional elements that inhabit parts of this album. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. And I think that if there's anything to praise sort of musically, um, that drum intro, and it's got a bass break. I like songs like this don't generally have bass breaks in them. That's that's a very unusual feature um, at the far end of the song. So that does help um, give it a little bit of something which is unusual. It's still to me doesn't feel very inspired but it is it is good to see at least a little bit of the edges being pushed around a bit um again getting away from the the kind of the more predictable elements of the album helps and um combining that yeah with the big the big 12 string with the big rickenbacker sound that that does give it a bit of a, a dimension that has been sorely lacking over the last couple of uh, songs i think it's fair to say also the next one but we are we're in territory whereby i feel like we're kind of scratching around for anything to say that's that's kind of faintly complimentary or at least at least i am but but those things are worthy of genuine praise like i do agree with you on that there's no doubt that those things are worth acknowledging and and that bass break that's going to remain really unusual there's very little in the beatles um back catalog which has much similar um you know even like the the most kind of bass dependent songs like come together or something of that aren't aren't quite doing it in the same way so well i mean this is a very forgotten song nobody seems to care much about it um but at least in those little moments there is something to get a handle on so okay i i know that that you are um a huge admirer of of ringo Starr's drum work mcdonald yes. um suggests he doesn't outright say it but he says that the drum pattern that begins and ends the track sounds like a mccartney part as do the overriven riff and guitar solo, which anticipate the treble distortion effects used on Help. Okay, it's fine. Let's worry about the guitar part for now. What do you think? Does it sound like something he's more likely to have played than Ringo? Um, I think when you hear Paul McCartney playing drums, it's very unmistakable uh, when he's doing it for the Beatles. When he plays drums for Wings in his solo career, he's become a better drummer than he is in the Beatles. He's he's fine, but he's quite a stiff player. Uh, and, and you can hear it on um, Back in the USSR, you can hear it on The Ballad of John and Yoko. Uh, and particularly if you listen to the way that he plays drums and then go away and listen to the way that Ringo plays straight after. Like, the difference is really clear. You might not just hear it if you listen to those songs in isolation. It's just the drums. But if you listen to, to Ringo and Paul playing side by side, like, the difference is is, is um, vast. And it's why Ringo is just a much, much better drinker, uh, better drummer than, than Paul McCartney is. Um, I don't think that this has that kind of stiffness that McCartney's Beatle era drumming has, it, I think it sounds like Ringo. I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a drumologist. I think that's probably the technical phrase, um, but <laughs> uh, but I think it sounds like Ringo to me. But I, I, I am prepared to be corrected. I am prepared to be proven wrong. But I, I don't think so. Okay, is again, it's it's finding something that that's a little bit different, and and maybe even if we're not wholly in favour of, of the song overall. To be able to pick up these little things are quite interesting. Um, I, I've not listened to, to um, any alternative recordings of this, but I suppose it would be interesting to, to follow up and to have a listen to how it sounded at the end of the, um, um, you know, the September recording session, I think the 30th of September, 
to then sort of hear the differences between that and then the the you know the October um, you know recording session as well to find out what was different to get that sort of sense of of you know how much it changed in that time because in between they managed to finish record um, I feel fine so you know you can see there's that growing sophistication I'd like to think that maybe this is one step on that road and this was the last thing they they polished off for the album so the next time obviously they go off and they do all their various touring commitments at the end of, of 64 um, next time they're in the studio it's Ticket to Ride in February of, of 65 and on the same day they start work on Another Girl and I Need You and it's Another Girl and I Need You are the ones that, that kind of come to mind when I'm thinking of, of the sort of songs that, that this has an influence on tonally perhaps you know in terms of instrumentation but I, I can I can see the bridge um, and and as a result, it makes me feel a bit more sympathetic towards it than than I think you do. Uh, yeah, sympathy isn't really the word that comes to mind. Um, I think it's interesting that there isn't a version of this on Anthology. We're at the point where Anthology 1 and Anthology 2 are kind of tipping over into each other. So so we're, we're at that sort of break. So roughly a third of the way through, I suppose. Um, but there, yeah, there isn't an alternative version on Anthology. That doesn't mean, listeners, that it's not possible to find alternative versions through other means. However, uh, it is not. It's not there. And it's just... I mean... You can't judge everything by whether they play it live or not. You know, there's only so many songs that you can hack out live. But it was never played live by the Beatles, and it's never been played live by by McCartney since. Um, and that also kind of does tell a bit of a story. I mean, you know, there's very little of uh, McCartney's back catalogue that he hasn't chosen to, you know, disinter at some point in his his career. This has never been a number which has even sneaked out once, as far as I can tell. Um, and that, yeah, that kind of does tell a, a, a little bit of a, a story there. I wonder if, if part of the reason why it, it, it sort of lacks any, any kind of status is because it, it is where it is on the album and it does sort of feel like we're we're coming to the end and especially because there isn't that big finish to follow sorry george sorry carl but there isn't that big finish to, to <laughs> no follow. Th- no there definitely isn't i don't think no. i don't think you Whereas, need to apologize for that um it appears on the beatles 6 album rather than the 65 in in america the capital release and it opens side two and I think it works there. It, it feels like that drum opening um, and and the guitars mark it as, as something that sounds much better in a more prominent position. Um, admittedly, when you look at the, the track listing, you might think that, that perhaps there wasn't very much on side two that, that perhaps could have gone there instead. Side two of, of the Beatles sixes, what you're doing. Yes, it is. Dizzy Miss Lizzie, tell me what you see. Okay, interesting. And every little thing to close. So it has a bigger finish there, but there's kind of, you know, it drifts in the middle. On this album, on on the official UK proper um, release, the, the capital ones don't really count, it's in the, the bit in the middle that drifts. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, therefore it loses any punch that it might have. Yeah. I, I mean, how much have you listened to that album kind of as it is in in that format, do you think the song benefits from being sequenced differently? 
Um, I, I think that's a tricky one because, um, you know, you're only going to listen to it on... Oh, no, actually, no, scrub that. That's a stupid thing to say. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, th- I think it's more one of those sort of gut feelings that I've got that, that because it has a more dramatic opening than a lot of other songs that they're, they're, they're doing around the time, even if it's not sustained, that's fine that it sounds like this kind of strong thing that you would have at the start uh, of an album. It has that impact because of its difference. But um, yeah, maybe I will set myself the task of uh, uh, sitting down and, and having that good old listen, um, especially because, you know, side two ends with words of love. So you kind of get there and go, oh, well, that's quite nice and quite pleasant and retrospective. Turn the side over. What you doing? Great. This sounds a little bit more fresh and original. But hey, other opinions are available. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I do I do think recontextualizing songs is um, is a very interesting kind of way of, of kind of delving into how they function. Um, I think I have like five Beatles playlists I've put together uh, on, on Spotify simply because I find it really interesting to... to get those songs away from the the way that you would normally think of them uh, like I've, I've like one of the playlists i have just to do things a bit differently um starts with well now starts with here and uh now and then sorry and and sort of works back to uh love me do just to have like listen to the way that the songs work rather than looking at them forward looking at them them backwards so um i think it is one of the things that makes those albums a particularly sort of fascinating little glimpse into into sort of more obscure kind of corners, I suppose not obscure for American listeners, but um, more obscure corners of Beatlemania uh, than, than we might be otherwise used to because it does, yeah, it does recontextualize. And we know that they were just done for cash grabs. We know that there wasn't necessarily a lot of artistic value and that nobody was really necessarily putting all that much thought into the way that they were putting together. But that doesn't mean that they can't still work effectively as as that kind of recontextualization so if you do go and listen to it i'd be interested to know next episode whether whether you think it, it makes that much of a difference or not so a quick check then um you, you may not know the answer to this because you know all of these these beatles records from america are brought back from the in-laws that i mean they are all original um releases yeah original pressings um when the Beatles finally got their way and things were were pressed as they were pressed in the UK, I wonder then whether they were also, you know, the those albums were then the standard. So, you know, with the Beatles, Beatles for sale, the, you know, the proper track listing for Hard Day's Night, um, whether they became the standard for reissues or whether... Beatles 65 and something new something new and Beatles 6 whether they have been released over time uh, re-released and reissued in America so um, I mean that would be the kind of interesting thing that someone who knows quite a lot about the Beatles would know uh, you, you think that <laughs> you think that might be us given that we've decided to set ourselves up as exactly that um, episode 65 <laughs> 65 ladies and gentlemen and we still just faff our way around research however if there are any listeners out there in America and we know that we do have listeners out there in America um, perhaps somebody could, could let us know I would be I would assume that the standard 
albums are the ones that are issued but i would also assume that those ones probably still exist or have probably still been reissued because there's always the power of nostalgia there's always something that somebody can go well i remember growing up with you know like Beatles 65 or whatever rather than rather than rubber soul or or whatever you know so and and you know there's no there's no corner of 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 the Beatles world which hasn't been exploited for more for more cash at some point so yeah i do like the way you said dear listener who might be more knowledgeable for us on this topic please please help us to answer the question and then you proceeded to completely guess an answer yeah 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 those two things it could be two (laughs) things they are not mutually (laughs) incompatible what i was going to go on and say was that's what i would think however (laughs) it would be really nice if an american listener could pull me out of this hole that i seem to have accidentally dug for myself and uh give us give us some kind of insight into that good good um, yeah. So, have you got anything else to say on on what you're doing? Because it sort of sounds like you're 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 scrabbling at the at the edges there. Uh, I really, do you think? <laughs> I really don't have anything else to say about this song. Do you have anything else to say about this? No, song? I, I I think it's just that summation, really, isn't it? That it's it's not a not a significant song in the Beatles' history. Perfectly fine, um, but it is. You know, it has that interesting marker. It has that interesting place in terms of what um, what they're going to become in just a few short months' time. And and I think you know people might think of it a little bit more more fondly if they they think of it in in that respect rather than trying to delve too deep into the musicality or or the lyrics. And I realise that people might say you're being a bit more sympathetic towards Mr. McCartney than you are towards Mr. Lennon. And I would say, yeah, okay, you got me. Oh well. Yeah, well, I, I I would never make such an accusation myself, as you can probably imagine. But since you've chosen to accuse yourself, I don't very well feel um, that I could necessarily disagree with you. All right, let's give this thing a score. We're just rambling around in circles now. Well, I mean, it's it's going to get the same score, ironically, as I don't want to spoil the party. So um, um, it's it's under your your absolute ridiculous scoring system it's going to get a six out of ten okay excellent uh i am also going to give it exactly what i gave i don't want to spoil the party which means i'm going to give it a four uh under my absolutely ridiculous scoring system which is neither absolutely ridiculous nor mine nevertheless it is a scoring system (laughs) and so i am going to go for that good right shall we shall we shall we pull this episode to a, a a shuddering halt Oh, I'm, I'm already ready to transfer my file over. So um, yeah, oh, you, you crack on with the outro. All right, <laughs> lovely. You can really get a hold of us, although after this episode, you may not want to, but it would be <laughs> nice if you did, especially, God, please, somebody write in and tell us about those, uh, those, uh, those original albums. Otherwise, this is going to be very bad for me. Anyway, you can do so uh, at uh, Beatlestuffology at gmail.com should email be your choice communication method. Uh, we are also on whatever is left of Twitter, at Beatles underscore ology. Uh, we are also Beatles Stuffology on Instagram. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please also check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, uh, where a noob and an expert go through the original classic Star Trek series, episode by episode. Please like, rate and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Uh, next episode, we managed to stand 
dagger to the end of this album. So that is uh, that feels like a bit of a, a bit of a feat, actually. I think we're I'm almost almost proud of us that we've managed to get the, to the end of uh, Beatles for Sale. It's it's not necessarily been the easiest album for us to cope with, but we have nevertheless managed it. So next week we get to close things out with everybody's trying to be my baby. As always, of course, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.